0: So our scripture reading today is Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So it's been um, six or seven years ago now, early, early in the days of our church. We planted about eight years ago, Uh, one Sunday morning, six or seven years ago, uh, back for those of you that were there in the movie theater days, we had a, we had a first time visitor who came into the worship service late. Uh, She came by herself and uh, she sat on the front row and, and she was, how do I say this? Well, extremely active, extremely active during worship, swaying and, and shouting uh, in an almost hypnotic way. And uh, needless to say, I'm sure this is going to shock you guys, that was not the norm for our con- congregation, uh, not something we experience very often. And, and, and after worship, she was welcomed and, and greeted by some of our people, as you've always been so wonderful at, at doing that, church. And, and the only thing she said is, I'm looking for a spirit-filled church. I'm looking for a spirit-filled church. She didn't come back to Christchurch. Apparently, we didn't meet that standard. But that does bring up a question that Paul's addressing here. What do you think she meant by that? What does it mean to be spirit filled? Does that mean that you're you're spiritually drunk? That you're, that you're intoxicated by God and, and out of control? I mean, Paul does compare being filled with the Spirit to drunkenness, at least to some degree here in this very passage. Um, does it mean that extraordinary charismatic gifts will be manifested in our lives if we're filled with the Spirit? And, and if that's not happening, does that mean we're not Spirit-filled? Does it mean something else? Is it something that we can have? Is it something we should want? The Spirit-filled life generates a good bit of confusion in Christian churches today. But that's what I want to talk about as as we continue this short series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the Spirit's main job being to continue the ministry and message of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to talk about what it looks like and what it means to be both a Spirit-filled Christian and a Spirit-filled Christian. Church And remember, our main goal as we think about it and reflect on it and worship the Holy Spirit in this series specifically is to love and to enjoy the Holy Spirit more fully. I want us to keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul says elsewhere. Last week, we began that, and today we continue it by looking at this particular aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, the filling the filling of the spirit now, my opening story hopefully illustrated that this is a phrase that generates some confusion frankly there 's a good bit of bad teaching out there on this topic. It also might generate some anxiety in you, some some concern in you that might sound too charismatic for your tastes and it certainly is true if we 're honest that in our particular tradition in our particular stream in Christ's church, that's not language that we use very often, being spirit-filled. It's not a common piece of our Christian lexicon. And and I think that's to our detriment, frankly, for for we do see it right here in Ephesians 5. In fact, spirit-filled Christians and spirit-filled churches are things we should all want, and they're things we should all strive for. So here's what I want to do. I want to appeal to you today, brothers and sisters, my friends, my church, If you're a Christian here today, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, maybe you did it 50 years ago, maybe you did it five minutes ago, but if you're a Christian, but you don't feel and live with the happiness and the peace and the expectant hope and the love that characterizes how the New Testament describes Christians, this sermon is for you. If, If you're a Christian, but the gospel isn't really seeming to seep into your heart at all during the week. This sermon's for you. If you're a Christian, but you find reading the Bible to be a chore, if you don't really know how to pray well, if you come to worship because it's just what you do on Sundays, and not because it's one of the highlights of your week, this sermon's for you. I want you to listen. Jesus Christ, our Lord, calls us. He calls me and he calls you this morning to hear his voice speaking to us. We need, if those characterizations are true of any of us at all, to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about. Let me summarize the main idea like this. The Spirit-filled life is to be the continual experience of all believers... For their own growth in Jesus and for the mutual building up of the church. I want to break this down into two parts. First, let me show you the summons to a spirit filled life, and then, secondly, the signs. The summons to a spirit-filled life, the signs of a spirit-filled life. So first, look with me in Ephesians 5, verse 18. We see the summons to the spirit-filled life. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is in the application half, the second half of Ephesians here. And he writes in verse 18, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or excess, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? First, I want you to see, very importantly, that this is a summons. It's not a suggestion that you can opt into or opt out of, depending on the way that God has wired you. No, it is a order. This is a command. It's in the imperative mood. The imperative mood tells us what ought to be in our lives. The indicative mood, on the other hand, states the reality of what is in our lives. So the filling of the Spirit is not the same as other works that the Holy Spirit does in us, like the sealing or being born again or the baptism of the Spirit. Filling is different. Now, now how can I say that? Because all those other works that the Spirit does... The Bible tells us, are once for all acts that the Spirit alone does to us and in us. We're passive in those things. For example, earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes this Listen, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? There in Ephesians 1, Paul writes about something the Spirit does to us. We're not involved in the Holy Spirit sealing us when we believe in the gospel other than in receiving the Spirit sealing. But that's not how he speaks here about filling. He tells us to be filled, which implies that it's it's possible for us to be more or less filled at any given time in our lives as believers. Another example, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on many in Jerusalem. This is a fulfillment of what John the Baptist called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a once-for-all unique initiatory experience for the people who received it. That word baptism of the Spirit is used seven times in the New Testament. In every instance, that's what it means. It's not something that's repeatable. It's not something that can be lost. But that's not, again, how Paul speaks of filling here in Ephesians 5. It is presented as something that can be repeated and that also can be lost. So to be filled with the Spirit is a command. It's something that you can obey. It's possible to be empty, relatively speaking, of the Spirit. It's a summons. Secondly, Paul tells us that it's a summons for all of us. It's impossible to tell in the English, but in Greek, the language in which the New Testament was written, that verb, be filled, is plural. It's in the plural. Now, that's grammatically pretty significant because it tells us that the Apostle Paul and that God speaking through the Apostle Paul is not just speaking to a particular class of, quote, spirit-filled Christians. When he says this in chapter 5, verse 18. He's not just speaking to some certain group who had received some special gift or insight or revelation. He's speaking to everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ. Just like in the first part of verse 18, when he says, don't get drunk, that refers to every Christian. No Christian period should ever get drunk. So it follows in the second half of the verse, all Christians period should be filled With the Holy Spirit. It's a summons reserved not just for some, but for all of us if we've trusted in Jesus. It's a summons for all of us continually. Continually. The verb is in the present tense, which indicates it has continual relevance. The filling of the Spirit is something that is to be regularly appropriated by us in our lives. So spirit-filling is not a reference to some dramatic past experience that some of us might have had. Rather, it's a reference to ongoing filling up in each of our lives with the Holy Spirit. So again, any of us can be more or less filled at a given time in our lives. It, It depends on how we're appropriating the realities of the gospel in our lives. This, I think, maybe is clear when you see how The Bible regularly refers to various people in the New Testament. For example, when Barnabas is called to go with the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey, in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is described as this. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and of faith. It's describing his ongoing Christian experience. When the first deacons are ordained in Acts chapter 6 to help meet mercy needs in the church, part of the reason they're chosen, we read from Luke in Acts, is because they were men who were, Acts 6, 3, full of the Holy Spirit. So let me summarize by saying that the command to be filled with the Spirit means that we are to be Under the influence of, under the control of the spirit of God. The contrast with drunkenness makes that apparent, doesn't it? When someone has had too much to drink, there we say under the influence of alcohol. Now, it's not the exact same with the spirit, but it is similar. When someone is filled with the spirit, they're under the influence of the spirit. This is to be regularly happening in our lives. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that you are living a life that is spirit-filled, that's under his influence, that's sensitive to his sway, that listens for his voice, that wants his controlling influence over everything that we're doing and saying and thinking. So, so how? How do we get that? How can I be filled? You obey this command to be filled. Not first by trying to do the things Paul says in verse 19, 20, 21. Well, I better be filled. So let me see. I should submit to others and and give thanks. We're going to talk about those things in a minute. Those aren't the way to be filled. Those are signs that you are filled. So how can you get filled with the spirit? How do you get drunk with wine? By drinking. How do you get full of the Spirit? By drinking. Listen to Jesus. When he's at the Feast of Booths, this is the Gospel of John chapter 7, he says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds this. Now, this Jesus said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Christ was not yet glorified. What does that mean? In order, in order to be continually filled In order to experience the life God wants for us, a life of fullness in the Spirit, we have to continually come to Jesus and drink. So, how are we to be filled with the living water of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to look to what does it look like to to drink of Jesus? Well, he tells us, come to him and believe. Those really are the same thing. You can't come to Jesus unless you're believing into Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to grow as a Christian? It doesn't mean that one time a long time ago at youth camp or at VBS or when you had had a really rough week and God called you to himself, that you came to Jesus and believed the gospel and repented of your sin. That's awesome if that happened. But to be a Christian means you are regularly, day in and day out, experiencing and living with the same repentance and faith that saved you in faith. The first place. That's what it means to come to Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And Jesus promises that if we're doing that, we'll be filled with the living water of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel like you're spiritually numb? Do you feel spiritually apathetic? Do you feel dry like the desert on the inside? Do you feel that your connection with God is full of static, like a bad radio signal? Do you feel like reading the Bible is just monotonous? That worship just bounces off of you? That these are just a bunch of religious chores? Do you feel like the words I say to you each week go in one ear and out the other? And I'll confess, I feel like the words I say to myself sometimes go in one ear and out the other. Do you feel like there's no real change at all in your life? You need to come to Jesus and drink. You need to come to Jesus and be filled. Take time and and remember and rehearse to yourself what the gospel tells you. Rejoice in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And living water, Jesus says, will flow out of you. That's how you're filled. With the Holy Spirit by believing again in Jesus. So go today and exercise. Exercise your faith. Go back to Jesus. Repent. Confess your sins. Confess how hard it is sometimes to be warm to what He's doing to us and receive His love, receive His grace, receive His forgiveness. There's no magical formula to live a spirit-filled life. The only way is to continue to believe that what Jesus says about himself and that what Jesus says about you and that what Jesus says about the gospel is in fact true. That it's the best news you could ever hear. That's the way to obey the summons to be filled. So second, how do you know? How do you know if you're being filled with the spirit? If you're obeying God's summons? I want to show you, secondly, the signs of a spirit-filled life. One of my best friends when I was in seminary, his name's Mark, he uh, drove this old, beat-up Oldsmobile car, and the fuel indicator on his dashboard never worked in the four years we were together in seminary. And he would regularly run out of gas Because his fuel indicator was broken, and what Mark would do, I guess, instead of getting the fuel indicator repaired, the cheaper option was just to carry around an empty gas can in his back seat and call his friend Luke when he ran out of gas somewhere on the side of the road. And so pretty often, a couple times a semester at least, I'd get a call from Mark and he'd say, hey, I'm at such and such and such and such intersection, parked on the side of the room, ran out of gas again. And, you know, I never thought to ask, you know, it would would be good if you could, like, just fix that fuel indicator. I'm I'm tired of coming to pick you up. He never knew if he was running on empty. He never knew if he had half a tank. He had no idea. And, And similarly... It's it's possible for us to be running on empty in our experience of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul's doing here is helping us to be aware of that and and to fill ourselves up again. That's Paul's language here. If if you're drinking of Jesus' love and drinking of Jesus' grace, then next, Paul tells us, that there's going to be evidence of that in your life. There's going to be signs of it. Signs of a spirit-filled life. Let me show you three, and then we'll wrap up. This is fun. Paul actually gives us four verbs in 19, 20, and 21 that are all dependent on that main command, be filled. And so what we're seeing here is, what does it look like to be filled? These four verbs summarize that. The first two will take as one point. Let me show you three signs of a spirit-filled life. First, look in verse 19. A spirit-filled life consists of true fellowship in common worship. True fellowship in common worship. Paul writes, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Speaking to one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That refers to our common life of worship together. It refers to what we're doing right now when we're gathered in worship. True fellowship with other Christians is expressed in common worship. If you, for your daily devotion, have ever followed uh, the the daily office, for example, which is a very old form of reading similar texts together with other Christians around the world, you'll see a great example of this. Almost every day, the daily office uses Psalm 95, verse 1, which says this, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Notice it's plural, us. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The first sign of being spirit-filled is that we are speaking to one another, singing to one another, and encouraging one another in worship. Look at what he says. We're to sing. Again, that's a command, you non-singers. We're to sing and make melody to the Lord. You're like, I stink at making melody. Paul knows you stink at it, which is why he says, make melody in your hearts, Make melody in your hearts to the Lord. He's not even wanting harmony yet. He's content with you making melody in your heart to the Lord as you sing. And the reason for this is clear. Last week we saw that the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify the Lord Jesus. And so he manifests Jesus to people in such a way that they delight, to worship, and sing praises to Jesus. Heartfelt Worship is the idea here. I find it interesting that again here we see a principle that we see all over the Bible and really all over our lives. And that principle is this. Whatever your heart is full of is what you're going to worship. Whatever your heart is full of is what you're going to worship. Whatever your heart is wrapped up in is inevitably going to flow out into your life in praise. And that's because God has made us all to be worshipers. We can't not worship. All of us are worshiping something because we're worshiping beings. And so Paul's saying that spirit-filled people are worshiping Jesus because the spirit is warming their hearts up to the incredible realities of his love for us and of life in him. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity summarizes this idea beautifully. Listen to what Lewis writes. All enjoyment, Lewis says, spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside. Whatever your heart is obsessed with is what you're worshiping. If your heart is obsessed with your work, you're worshiping your work. If your heart is obsessed with college football, God bless you. It's going to go poorly. 18 to 22-year-old men will always let you down when they're trying to tackle one another and catch an oblong pigskin. If you're worshiping football, if your heart loves football and is obsessed with football, that's going to come out. If your heart is obsessed with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that's going to come out. If your heart is continually wondering about your own reputation, then that's what you're going to worship, your own reputation. And if the Holy Spirit is warming your heart to continually love and adore and worship and enjoy Jesus Christ, then that is going to express itself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So what does the spirit do when he fills us? He helps us see how wonderful and beautiful and great Jesus is. And that shows up in our lives through worship. I do want to say something here. Kind of a side note, but really pretty obvious in the text. Spirit filled people sing. I joked about that a minute ago, but now I'm serious. Your singing matters not least of all because it's repeatedly commanded by God in the Bible, but it also matters because it's a way we encourage each other. Paul says that here. He says that in Colossians. And because praise is a barometer, a fuel indicator of what the gospel is doing inside of us. So the first sign is common worship. A second sign of a spirit-filled life. Look in verse 20. Consistent gratitude to God. Paul says... Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I imagine that most of us could honestly say that we're happy and grateful sometimes for some things. We're happy and give thanks and are grateful sometimes for some things. But the more spirit-filled one is, the more thanksgiving always for all things is evident in his or her life. There's no circumstance for which spirit-filled people do not express gratitude to God. And he says they do it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't give thanks for everything because everything that's happening in their life is good. In fact, a lot of the things that are happening in all of our lives all the time are bad. But because we're united to Jesus Christ and know he's working all things together for our good, we can still be people who have in our lives gratitude, a spirit-filled life, is a deeply grateful life. Doesn't this flow just kind of logically out of the reality of the gospel? Doesn't it? I mean, if God in Jesus has saved us from death and from hell, if by his grace alone we have eternal life if nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, and if the Spirit is warming our hearts up to these truths regularly, then gratitude is going to follow. And if gratitude, friends, listen, if gratitude's a sign of being spirit filled, then the converse is also true. Grumbling and moaning and complaining is a sign of emptiness doesn't mean you're not a Christian necessarily, but it does mean you're not appropriating the beauties of the gospel in your life. Spirit-filled believers are grateful, even in hard circumstances because of what is happening internally. God is warming their hearts to his love through the ministry of his spirit. So thankfulness is the fruit of faith. Complaining is the weed of unbelief. What does your life look like? That might be a question to ask ourselves. Does my life demonstrate regular thankfulness to God? Regular thankfulness for all of God's blessings. Or is my life beset by irritability and moaning and envy? If the latter is the case, come and drink of Jesus Christ and be filled with his spirit. The third sign. A spirit-filled life, we saw first, consists of common worship together. Secondly, consistent gratitude to God. Third, mutual submission. Look in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it is true that Paul, in the next verse, and all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, goes on to talk about specific, particular relationships in which submission should be present. Wives to husbands, children to parents, employers to employees. Those are all true, but I want you to see that he begins by saying that all of us have a general responsibility to be submissive. All of us have a general responsibility to be submissive to each other. Humble submission is a hallmark of the way of Jesus. Self-submission... And not self-assertion is the hallmark of the spirit-filled believer. I think the picture that the Apostle Paul has in mind here as he writes this is one of soldiers, which many of you, I think, can identify with. One of, one of soldiers in a regiment, right? One of soldiers in a line under an officer. What's happening when a man joy, joins an army? Uh, Or a woman joins an army. What's happening here is that this person in this regiment is, in a sense, no longer an individual. He's now a member of the regiment or the platoon platoon or or the squadron. And all of them together listen to the commands of their officer. So when you join the army or you join the Air Force, you're no longer governing and controlling yourself. Which I know you Air Force people would give a hearty amen to that. You have to do what you're told. You're now part of a larger unit than just the unit of your own life. That's what Paul means here when he talks about being mutually submissive. So what might that look like practically? Spirit-filled people don't insist on their own way. That's what it looks like practically. Spirit-filled people don't assert themselves first and foremost. Why not? (laughs) Because... By the way, that's the nature of who the Spirit is. The Spirit shows another person. The Spirit exists really to be the best man to the bridegroom who is Jesus. And if we're full of the Spirit, His character is going to show up in our lives. But it's also true that Spirit filled people are not self assertive, but rather self submissive because one thing that the Holy Spirit constantly teaches people is the truth about ourselves. And that is, we're all hopeless, lost, broken sinners every one of us. And so who am I? Who am I to lord my opinion over someone else? Who am I to demand my own way? Who am I to insist that others serve my interests? Who am I to think that I should have the first pick of preference? What the Spirit does is reduce all of us to the same level. He tells us we're all in the same boat. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We're all desperately and fully in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. The spirit filled believer is full of this truth I'm a mess. God loves me. You can get in on this. That's a good vision statement, by the way. I'm a mess. God loves me. Anyone can get in on this. So, what is a spirit filled life? It's not a life of ecstatic religious experiences. It's not a life of some irregular spiritual mania. It's not a life of relying on a past experience we had. No, the spirit-filled life is a life of loving worship and relationships. Let's do a thought exercise together to conclude. What would a spirit-filled church look like in our current culture? What would a spirit-filled church look like in our current climate? It would long to be together in worship, singing, listening, confessing sin, coming to the table with joy. It wouldn't insist on its own way. It, It likely wouldn't be rife with dissension and divisiveness over opinions regarding Biden or Trump or masks, or vaccines, or name the issue that makes you angry. It it would be quick to listen and to forgive one another. It it would be a place of of repentance and and a place of gentleness. It It would be thankful for the opportunity to participate in what God is doing in the world. It would be all those things because those things are a reflection of who the Holy Spirit is and of what the Holy Spirit does. So, Can we as a church more and more look like that and manifest that? Well, the good news is yes. In fact, that's what God himself longs for us to be and what God himself is making us. And you can be a part. How? Drink of Jesus. Drink of Jesus. Come and remember who he is. Believe what he's done. And be filled with his spirit. Let's pray.